on here. Let's go. Let's fucking go, ladies and gentlemen. Let's here we go. Oh no, that's not it. That is not, that is not it. Heard it from Peter Who. Heard it from Brian Who. Heard it from Craig Meyer. You've been watching American Dad. They say you're on season ten. No, Siri, what? Come on, bro. Siri, don't, don't do that to me. Are you fucking? You're you're watching on the weekends. It's pissing me off because that show sucks shit. And I know the alien's good. The wife is hot and the fish eats the food. And the animation is appreciably better than anything else on TV. But I'm telling you, babe, that I've got a better show, babe. And if you hate it, keep this in mind. He's a funny talking baby. And that is so funny to me. And the dog is there too, I guess. I don't believe it. Your favorite one is Lois. You're not having fun, but we've only just begun. So, strap in. That's it. Great. That's it. Great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, that was uh, awful. That's just so... <laughs> just such an awful situation. I couldn't f- click on the right song at first. Uh, because of just not knowing if it was queued up correctly or not. And it goes in like, I didn't have a second because it just goes right into the song. And then Siri on my laptop activated during the song. I think it's because I said season 10. I don't know. I, think it thought it sounded, uh, I, it's, I don't, I, I don't have Siri voice activated for that very reason. I feel like I say so many things that are close to Siri that I don't want to, don't want to mess it up. Uh, but that does that it, uh, there are some times when I, uh, need the voice activated Siri where I just don't have full use of my hands to be like, Hey Siri, can you look up a nice, a nice, why don't you have full use of your hands? Like I'm bro, in the shower or something and I don't want to get my phone wet and I just want to be able to say, Hey Siri, can you please play, uh, for example, I don't know, uh, your Kickstarter sucks the podcast, I guess. Okay, let's go. That's a good thing to play. That, well, that, was last, that was just the last podcast I was listening to, and so it's fresh in my mind. But uh, are you new to that pod? Because I've been on that train for a little bit. I don't know. For whatever reason, I couldn't uh, hack it when it first started. Even though uh, one of my good friends is really into it, and I think shoots uh, Michael a buck so that he has access to his Twitter feed every week. Um, but I wasn't able to get into it until fairly recently. Well, I, listen, brother. I've been on that. I've been on that tip for about, I don't know what, like probably since like September, August mm. or September of last year. So, and I'm I'm a I'm a patron. I'm an eight dollar a month patron for those guys. The squeeze what is that Louise the most tier. expensive patron that you uh, donate to? Yes, gotcha. I believe so. I think everything else is five or two dollars a month. Right. What's the perks um, with eight dollars a month for that podcast? Uh, Ad free regular show. Why are we fucking unplugging <laughs> the eight dollar tier of this other podcast? Which is that's just their whole job is to do that podcast. But uh, you get ad free episodes of the regular show, like the free feed, uh, which is really nice. I think that everyone who I think every podcast should do that for their top right. tier feed. I think that's just smart. 
and then you get a bonus episode every week, and then you get an extra bonus episode once a month where they do the mailbag. Oh, uh, cool. And that's separate from a different bonus episode. And you might get Discord benefits, but I actually do not give a shit about Discord. Yeah, podcasts are so. really into Discords now, and those, or like I guess those online communities are the new place because you, what are you going to do? Go on Facebook and hang out with all of the moms? Or are you going to be on Twitter and just have your mind turned to Swiss cheese every single day? So I guess Discord is the place to do it. Uh, I yeah, at least you know that they're like minded, at least in some capacity. Yeah, it's like well, we all like YKS or we all like whatever Chapo or something like that. Yeah, I tried to do I think a uh, Discord for the Street Fight Radio Facebook or for the for that particular podcast, and I was just this is too much, too many notifications. I don't want to be in on this. No, thank you. But that's not why we're here today. Why are we here? Actually, actually, can you remind me why we're? here I don't know. Today? I thought I you would know why we were here. Today. Why are we here? today? Wait, if you don't know why we're here today, and I don't know why we're here today, who's driving the podcast? Whoa! (laughs) Just off the fucking side of the Grand Canyon. I'm like, Mason, kiss me real quick. I've never been kissed before. (laughs) Well, we already have. I want (laughs) to. I want to feel the lips of someone on my mouth before we plunge to our death. And you're like, bro, that's so fucked up. Don't tell me that. Then we die. We instantly die. Yeah, right, right, right. I was I was just going to say, it, it, it contrasted to how in control this podcast normally is. Uh, but no, folks, sure. this is, it's on the list with Noah and Mason. I am Mason. I am Sleepy Joe Biden, the funny talking dog. Uh, Mr. And I, mm-hmm. okay, no, keep going. No, keep I was going. trying to remember what my, what my super, super secret group chat nickname was, but I can't remember because I never see it like I do see. Mr. D. D-, D-, D- oh, I missed all, okay, okay, because you're, anyways. Feel free to bleep that and have everybody think that your name is like Chris Colfer. Um, no, I'm Noah Marger. I'm the other host of this podcast, uh, The Funny Talking Baby. I was going to, I don't even remember, I interrupted you for no fucking good reason no, at all, but all right. we're, here. we're here. Hello, we're back. We're we're hanging out. We're we're, uh, we're having fun. A little bit of fun, at least. Not too much fun, though. A, a safe amount of fun for a free podcast. And you know what, folks? We're not alone this week. No, no, nope. no. We have a very special guest, a guest who you might recognize from her art, and you can follow her art on Instagram at underscore couchmouse. If that sounds familiar, it might be because you know you have heard her plugged on my podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the Shield, because she's done the logo art for that. And if you don't know her from that, maybe you know her from a couple of other places, such as uh, oh, I don't know, the uh, Lakeview Junior High School performance of The Music Man, where she was Winthrop Peru. Let's fucking go. Or okay. The very get next off, year, when she was Big Julie and the Guys and Dollars. The year after that, where she was. The old lady whose name's forgetting, who's escaping me in Oklahoma. Aunt you might Eller. recognize Let's go. her. You absolute huh? Philistine. Aunt Eller. Aunt is Eller. An bitch. Yeah, from Oklahoma. <laughs> you absolute Philistine, you bitch. Aunt Eller. Are you kidding me? Uh, you might also recognize her from her stints on the stage at uh, in Machinal in Chicago at the, forget which theater that was in, but that was a couple the years ago. The Greenhouse Theater on Lincoln <laughs> Avenue. Thank you very much. She threw up. <laughs> Immediately upon saying greenhouse, threw up, died, (laughs) Uh, followed us all the way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, is throwing up (laughs) on our dead fucking bodies. Absolute fucking worst way to go Uh, out. And if you don't know her from any of those places, you would know her from her own podcast, Old Friends Who Just Met, a a whenever they get to it, Muppet podcast. Folks, terribly irregular. She's... (laughs) 
<laughs> just like Mason is terribly irregular. Just like me. Just like me. My doctor has no idea what's going on with my bowels. Uh, <laughs> Your stool is crazy. You got crazy stool. Uh, folks, uh, my sister's in the house. Kellen McGuire. Hey, sissy. Woo! Welcome to the podcast. I have two jokes that I was waiting to make, but you guys talked for a while, so I was going to make them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the first one? Give the us first the first one. The first one isn't really a joke. It's an important observation, which is that song that you parried at the beginning is important to me because of Paul Blart Mulcahy. Oh. <laughs> Wait, what's the significance in Paul Blart Mulcahy? I'm pretty sure remember. that that's one of the songs that they... There's like interludes in that movie where they show a guy in a restaurant fairly, who's singing karaoke, and I. It's and fair, that, yeah. yeah, and that's one of the songs that he sings. Like in between scenes, they just have <laughs> this guy singing karaoke in a restaurant in the mall, and that's one of the. It's songs. fairly early, yeah. It's fairly early in the movie that this guy shows up, and it's I don't know why there's this scene. I can't remember why there's this scene it's here. It's like three but like times. Paul Blart, yeah, but like Paul Blart is in like an Applebee's at the mall or something, and gets shwasty, and one of the guys is singing. Uh, take it on the run by Ario Speedwagon. No, we already know everything Paul he Blart sings guy. is Ario Speedwagon. Maybe. I, <laughs> fuck, put me on the goddamn spot with being a Paul Blart guy or not being a Paul Blart guy. Um, I remember seeing the first one in theaters with my dad and sister, thinking, um, this is fine. <laughs> thinking just very much. Just thinking, I went back okay, and saw it twice, fine. and then I bought the DVD. Damn. I liked it. Fuck. I <laughs> maybe maybe we should have talked about Paul Blart. I'm thinking Paul maybe Blart we should have. Podcast. I'll come back. Damn. We can talk about it. I yeah. haven't seen it. I think well, since after like I bought the DVD and I watched it a couple times, <laughs> and then I don't think I've seen it since. I just remember Kiss is very important in Paul Blart. Like just like Detroit Rock City is like the seminal song in. Paul Blart. I don't remember mm-hmm. the Ario Speedwagon, but I remember he's like obsessed with Detroit Rock City, and there's like a whole montage. To Detroit Rock City. This I don't Any, remember. That ring a bell I'm anyone? remembering less from Paul Blart Mall Cop than I thought. It's not like it's a movie that I liked a lot. I saw it also. We saw it uh, in theaters at the Tivoli yeah. in our in uh, downtown Downers Grove, which is opening. Damn. By the, Always got to shout out the Tivoli. Yeah, I think by the day that this episode drops on April 15th will be the official reopen for the Tivoli Theater. Uh, actually, be very exciting. I think they're going to be playing uh, Black Widow. Mason, this episode drops on the 16th of April. Dump! Then, folks, all Downers Grove <laughs> listeners, he would have been able to go to the Tivoli for 24 full hours. How about that? And you haven't gone yet? What's the second joke you were going to say, um, Is Kellen? that, and again, it's not really a joke. I just don't have a good way to okay. describe <laughs> the point I was going to make, which is I ha- I turned off voice recognition for my, at least I think I did, for my Siri, because I was talking about the musical Oklahoma, and I said Surrey with a fringe on top, and Siri oh, came up and she yeah. said friends on top, and I was sure's not <laughs> and, no. And, and you said yes, please. No. Woo And then all your friends yeah. didn't want to fuck well, came in. Siri and ordered. Like, That's awesome. Yeah, Siri ordered the full series of um, Friends on DVD for Kellen, and that's what happened. I had that. My sister and I split that actually when that came out on DVD. I own the we bought second that. season on DVD, and I don't know why. Well, uh, that is uh, you like it. <laughs> that, is, that's, that is why, because you like it. You don't have to be shy about well, liking Friends, even though it sucks and it's shitty. <laughs> I don't know why either, to be honest with you. You must really like. Is Marcel the monkey? No, in Marcel. That one? Oh, I feel oh, like that's like. I have big the first one on iTunes because when I first got my iPod Touch. Uh, Let's go. There was like a thing where it was like a dollar or it was free. 
and I was like, Friends is fine, and so and I and I like to not pay for things, so I sure. downloaded that, uh, and I would watch that during study hall, as well as the Simpsons episode, where okay. Lisa goes to band camp and is taught and and is attending with members of Glee, and they sing a version of Good Vibrations that's about arts camp where they go. I, I know all of the words to it. I'm not going to go into it. It's, it, uh, but it, the, <laughs> I think we kind of need you to go into it. I think that this is some untapped uh, potential well, here. If I remember correctly, the cast members featured one of them is is Corey Monteith, and right. Here, I didn't watch Glee. I missed that somehow, <laughs> so I don't really know these people. I know Corey Monteith is one because I know that he died. Um, but. What, well, the, was the character's name Kurt Hummel? That's, or was that the that's actor's the other. Name? That's a different character, I think, because that's the, the gay character's. One. Yeah, the character's name was Kurt, but I forget what the actor's. Name. It's so wild that like Glee was the biggest thing ever yeah. its first season, and then I don't know. And then just it just, it just, <laughs> just 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 for closeted gay guys at high school and the girls to yeah. talk about, and that's all. I, it I somehow but, missed the but, boat. You know. it, like it hit every box that should have drawn me in, and I just totally missed it. Um, but what the fuck is that guy's name? I'm sorry. Keep going. I gotta find out what the what Kurt Hummel's name. Yeah, because that's I don't I don't was. know. But um, they pull up. Marge drops her off, and. The lyrics are, I love the elegant pearls you wear and the starfish shape yes. that constitutes your hair. And then somebody else comes Whoa. in, you'll be staying in cabin 12 and we think that you'll Let's be go. Really happy there. And then they all come together, you're gonna like arts camp, Lisa. March paid with yes. a bit, Fisa. And they're repeating that. Yes! And Lisa, yes! Noah <laughs> <and Lisa> is <going, laughs> yes. standing up. Yes, we got another song fan. And Lisa's show. coming in and she goes, Arts, 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 and education. Arts, 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 and education. And I think there's a different. Oh! It's because it's the episode that Fly to the Concords. They were like the counselors at the. Oh, that's that why makes it sense. was a notable episode. That makes this sense. must this must have been not a golden era Simpsons episode. This, this must was have been like, like new when I downloaded ago. it, which would have been like 2010. Yeah, yeah. that makes 100. Yeah. It makes sense. Worse. the actor's name is Chris Colfer, yeah. by the way. Thank you. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, the f- the flight of the Concords connection makes more sense. We were more of a flight of the Concords, or Kellen and I were more into flight of the Concords than either. Well, of when but I not really the, the story... TV show. No, okay. I told this story on the Muppets podcast because we talked about the movie that Brett McKenzie wrote stuff for. But when I got my first iPod, which was a Nano, it was a birthday present, yeah. and my dad had been sneaky and he came. He was like, "What?" I had like a rack of CDs. He goes, "Which of these are like your favorites?" And I was like, "Oh, I don't know these ones." And he took them and he put them on the iPod so it would be preloaded. Oh my god! And he also put a bunch of other stuff on there, including Patton Oswalt stand up. But I was in like. My weakness is strong. Was it the my weakness is strong? It was a CD? couple of them. I was very young, so I was kind of like, really. Um, it would have been my weakness is strong. Yeah, because it was uh, werewolves and lollipops was the one before that, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't remember which one he put on there, but I was like, okay, dad. Uh, and then some other comedy stuff and some flight of the concords music and so i listened to the music but i've never watched the show i uh the only reason i know that it was my weakness is strong is because i listened to that whole cd because a girl liked me (laughs) and that was something that she really liked and uh she just always would quote the sky cake 
I was <laughs> just thinking about that stand-up routine. Isn't that fucked up that that was like one of her favorite things? And then she would be like, no, it is only cake. And I would be like, haha, you like me. And I don't know if I like you, but you actually like me. So I'm going to pursue this. And I'm in seventh grade. At least grade. two or three of those albums I had like memorized because I listened to them all the time. Yeah. Yeah. We would listen. to. He's funny. He is funny. Kelly and I would listen to like, uh, you know, because I'm older. I don't know if that was said on the podcast yet. She is my little sister. She's my younger sister. And so I would pick, we would, you know, in high school or stuff. Uh, I would have my license to be able to drive around, and I feel like the most, the most of the stuff that what we listened to in the car together were stand up, and mostly just Patton Oswalt and Maria Bamford were really big for for both of us. Uh, love I also <laughs> this up? is Shame Corner in junior high. There was a Bill Engvall album that I knew. Front oh, to oh fuck! Bill Engvall. I kind of like Bill Engvall. It I, was... I kind. <laughs> I can't. I I wish I could remember the jokes now. There was at least you know one or two tracks of "Here's Your Sign" jokes, but uh, at least some of it was somewhat clever. Mason, you used you on an early episode of "It's on the List." Just a I think it may have been the Gex episode actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was like one of the last episodes we did in LA. You tried to say to me like. Noah, is this your sign? Because you're a dummy or something like that. Like sign. you like said that to me. The stupid sign. Yes, and I didn't understand what the fuck you were talking about at all. So I did was just like, to Bill Dude, what the Mason? fuck? Are you did saying? I not know this about you? Yeah, no, because Bill Engvall. No, because Bill Engvall. Speaking of uh, speaking of dangerous shit, maybe not. Maybe depending on how you cut this, Mason. Maybe that segue won't make sense at all. But before we get into our album. I didn't tell you this, Mason, but Kellen, I kind of told you before, Mason, you came on the show. I got five questions for you, Kellen, to uh, expose Mason a little bit for oh, the scoundrel, the scoundrel oh, okay. that he yeah. is. I, so. I'm glad that you're taking this opportunity. Uh, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's get it. Let's get it all on the record okay. on the show here. <laughs> and Mason, the rule here's the only rule that I have is whatever Kellen has to be able to get out her version of whatever it is. And once she's done, then you can talk, okay. but you absolutely cannot talk while she is giving her version of okay. whatever the answer All right. is. I'll be, I'll okay. be. I'm a little worried about my memory. but First question. What's something Mason doesn't want me to know that he did as a kid? Either something embarrassing or dumb or... I know there's one story that Mason really hates when I tell, and I don't... Which one? <laughs> Which, the, one? Which one? The... How you... The zip yeah. line? Oh, you can tell the Zeppelin story. Um, okay. Because so, I want to be courteous. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm a guest, but also... It was it was almost 10 years ago. I okay, I healed physically and, and emotionally okay. from it, so you can tell. Okay, <laughs> so we live in an area where people have ginormous yards, sure. and there's lots of trees around. My friends call it the forest farm. That's just to give you a little context. And our next-door neighbors had set up between two of their trees and okay. in a slope so like so you would yeah. you would climb a tree and then you kind of gently and then you'd eventually kind of go sure. toward the ground so you could stop yourself okay. they set up a zip line with a with a thing like to hold on to and at the tallest it was like 15 10 15 feet so it was high but not like sure what the hell are you doing kind of high and i didn't do it because i'm afraid of heights um but it the it would be me and Mason and then the two boys that live next door. And they had friends over that day, yeah. too. Yeah, and they would all, like, take 
A lot of boys running around. I was usually the only girl in the area, and so sometimes they would, like, lock themselves in the treehouse and be like, no girls allowed, and I'd be, like, cool, and I'd Damn. get to play in the whole yard by myself. <laughs> I kind of see where the story's going, but tell me how it ends. Um, I don't know if you do know, but um, the way it would work is, and the the handle was connected to a rope, so once you got to the end, you would grab it by the rope sure. and lock it back to where it started, because there wasn't a way to otherwise. So... They were taking turns going up the tree and going down the line, and Mason, um, and it was also kind of muddy in their backyard, and so the mom had brought out a bucket with rags and water so, like, we could wipe our legs off after we'd been running through the yard, uh, and Mason was wiping his legs off, and he looked at the rag, and he goes, I should try going yes, down the Mason! line. And I'm sitting there going, I don't think you should. Uh, Mason, and he climbed the tree with the rag, and he threw it over the rope, and he slid, and he got about four feet away, like just far enough for him to get back. And he couldn't keep going, and so he starts like wriggling around trying to get himself down, and he loses his grip, and he fell, and um. Right he landed on his arm, and I ran home, and I bust through the front door like, Mom, Dad, Mason fell out of a tree! <laughs> <laughs> and that's the story of how Mason broke his arm in high school, if people it was didn't such know a, the yeah, cause of that. Uh, yeah, it was such a small break. Like, I didn't... <laughs> And it was so high too. It was like oh, it was like up here, kind of near where my shoulder was. And when I went in to get X-rayed, they were a little nervous that maybe you know it was gonna mess with. Did you tell people you were like stopping a mugging, Mason? <laughs> like, did you make up some like bullshit story? <laughs> I no, I I think that I uh, I feel like I was pretty, to my memory, pretty forthright about the cause of it being my own stupidity. I just hate when other people call me stupid. <laughs> Or hated. I don't mind that much anymore. I've accepted that, that I'm just a very stupid person. And I was just like, that's kind of, that's a very extreme example, but that's a lot of growing up with Mason and being like, I should try this. And us being like, I don't know if you should. And he'll be like, it'll be fine. That's probably the worst. Yeah, that's probably like the worst. Yeah, that's like the most extreme version of it. Although he did also take some of my Barbies (laughs) and tie ropes around their necks and swing them from the staircase till the real. That's not that's for real. That was something I came home to was my Barbies being decapitated. Yeah, just decapitated a decapitated Barbie rolling down the stairs. (laughs) Well, I did I did start Mindhunter last night, and that is something that Ed Kemper kind of did to do his sister's shit. So I don't know. In twenty years, Mason's gonna be reading audiobooks from a prison cell. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I'm not saying that necessarily, but I'm not saying it's looking good. Okay, next question. Oh no. Uh, what's something that he did? that drove you crazy growing up or something that he still does that drives you crazy? Oh, I have to pick one? I know. Yeah, that's the yeah. hardest part about all this is picking one. Mason, shut the fuck up while she's talking. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, like, there was a lot of the typical, like, him pretending to, like, yes. be like, but I'm not touching you, but I'm not touching yes, you. Yes, bro. And my parents would be like would be like it's fine he's not actually and i'd be like but he's crazy. i actually like that to be honest with you, I, that i actually am on your side on that one because i did that to my sister a lot too yeah there, there was just a lot of that like typical like annoying sibling stuff okay and i did my share of it too but uh i contend that because he was older he started it and of so course. whatever i did was 
in self-defense. In response. Mason, right, right, right. what about you? What's the most annoying so, thing Kellen did growing up that bought, that pissed you off? Um, this is Absolutely like, nothing. this is I'm so... perfect and an angel. Yeah, you're <laughs> an angel, yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I, I can't really think of anything. The first thing that's coming to mind, and it's so long ago that it's so funny that it bothered me so much, because now <laughs> yes. I think it's funny. For whatever reason, Kellen got it in her head that our parents weren't her real parents, and she was actually adopted from a family Yo, of polar, a family of polar bears. No, 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 no. You, it's not what you think it is, Noah. I'm not just adopted. She was, she's really a polar bear and was adopted from the polar bear family at the zoo. <laughs> And this got in her head when she was, like, very young, like, just verbal. So maybe two or three. So I was, like, four or five. And I was just young enough to be, like, a little stinker. And I was like, why are you saying that? That you're mom and dad and mom and dad. You know. I also wanted on the record that my dad didn't tell me I was wrong. So I believed yeah, it for a yeah, little bit Yeah, dad committed long. to the bed on that one. Uh, uh, yeah. And still, when we go to the zoo or when there's polar bears on my TV, my dad will be like, do you recognize him? Is that your Is that uncle? your dad? <laughs> Is that your Is that real, your real dad? dad? Fuck, man. That's brutal. That's awesome, though. Uh, I'm not going to ask the other questions, but I do want to end with a sweet one. Uh, Kellen, you can answer this one first, and then Mason, you can answer this one. I kind of want to know what the other questions were. Okay, the other questions were, uh, what's the biggest fight that Mason ever got into with your parents? Uh, and then what's the dumbest thing that Mason ever did? But I feel like the fucking the, the towel thing would basically kind of constitute yeah. that question. I didn't, yeah, and I didn't get into a ton of fights with my parents. I don't think either of us really did got into any like kind of intense fights with our parents. I was thinking, reflecting the other day that like I can't remember ever being like my parents saying like you're grounded to me about something. I was a pretty well behaved sure. kid, if you could believe it. Yeah, they didn't. That didn't really come up with. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think most because like we we. This sounds like so square, but like we weren't like quote getting in trouble doing things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. also like they were pretty lenient of like if we were going out and doing stuff, they'd be like, if you'll be out past ten, just call us and let us know. But there was never like that oh. you have to be home by a certain yeah, time. Your parents are cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an extremely Fuck, anxious man. person, so if my parents are like, you should let us know if you'll be home by ten thirty, I'd be like, I'll be home by ten. <laughs> <Fuck>. <laughs> Well, I, did, I was going to end with a nice question first, and like I said, Kellen, you answer this one first, and then Mason, you can answer this question as well. Kellen, what's uh, something that you really admire about Mason? Uh, that he was able to move to L.A. and move somewhere new and kind of do that whole thing sure. because I'm a homebody. And, like, you know, it would be cool to live somewhere else, but also I'm like, mm, but I, new things. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So... Good answer. Dude, what about you, Mace? You. What do you admire about Kellen? Uh, she is a better artist than I will ever be. Uh, Damn. So Dinks. if you haven't, it, it, Noah can see it, uh, but that, that psych painting yeah. behind her, she did I was going to ask about that. Yeah, I was going to ask if you did that. What, what do we got going on? The listeners won't be able to see it, but can you describe what that is for us, Kellen? Yeah. This is from an episode of Psych, and this is shameful, but I don't remember which episode it is, and I'm usually kind of... Uh, <laughs> A freak. I'm, I'm very good. No, <laughs> Kellen, is, Kellen is legitimately Psych Rain Man. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. That's it's it, it. It clicks something in my brain where it just goes and into the memory bank. Wow. And into the memory bank. Yeah. Uh, and when they were coming out with their new movie this summer, I got the idea to do a painting, and I found this picture, and I thought it would be fun to do that. This took me forever, though. I gave up. His shirt has a ton more detail on it in reality, but I was like, mm, fuck it, and just. 
you would not have been. I mean, you could have fooled me. I think that thing looks really, really nice, and I think it's got a cool Thank style you. to it. And I was like, I, I, because I remember <laughs> Mason in your old apartment. Didn't you have a Kellen McGuire original hanging up? We like, had a right couple. We, yeah, we had a couple. We had the Columbo one, which she, I think she redid for my new place, or it might even just be in my. Uh, yeah, bedroom. that one's not very good though. The the redo. <laughs> uh, well, you can get another shot, but I think she, she did a California. <laughs> well, you're gonna do it for free again. For me. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, like, I do these and then they lay around, and I'm like, someone please just take them. So I end up doing a lot of paintings. That's cool. Free, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, okay. Well, enough of that bullshit. Should we talk about? Should we talk about the album of the week? Let's do it. I can't wait. What album are we talking about today, Kellen? That you brought on the show for us. Uh, we are talking Paul Simon's Hearts and Bones. Snap, Ooh. snap, 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 snap for Pauly Shore, Paul Simon himself. <laughs> yep, that's what I call him too. Uh, <laughs> actually, believe it or not. <laughs> My mic is probably making very weird noises right now. It's sorry. actually okay. not making, well, actually it is making a lot of weird noises, so fucking knock it off. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just, I'm actually just kidding around. Uh, okay. okay. So we got this album, Hearts and Bones. It came out in 1983 by Paul Simon, uh, Kellen. Why did you pick this album? Uh, so I'm a big Paul Simon fan. Uh, I like music, but there's not a ton that I can talk about in a significant way, sure. I would say, uh, with the exception of Paul Simon. Uh, and I was trying to decide what album I was going to do, if I was going to do Paul Simon or maybe one of the Simon and Garfunkels. And then I saw a little list Mason had put together of albums he had wanted to discuss, and this one was on there, and I was like... Well, then that kind of takes some of my decision away from me, and that's sure. fine with me if I don't have to actually make a decision. Um, but also, because I like the songs on it, and uh, I had forgotten about it, and then um, he released In the Blue Light, which is like a... Uh, he went over some of his old music and did it again with a group called Wide Music, and that was um, essentially an album... That was, like, the stuff he had done on his last tour, which I'd been able to go see. Oh, shit. And there's a song on there called Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. Sure. Which is from Hearts and Bones. Swag. So. Swag. Mason, this was on your little secret list mm-hmm. of things to cover on the show. Uh, what do you? What's up with you in this album? What's your history with this one? Uh, so this was another kind of... Um, this was another album that I heard the first time, I want to say, in 2017 when I was uh, being a seat filler at uh, that production company I used to work for. Used to work for, excuse me, in L.A. Um, And I came to this one because I was maybe, on that day when I found this album, I was probably just bored of, like, clicking around on YouTube or trying to, you know, discover weekly kind of deep dive or something. And I was like, let's just listen to a Paul Simon album that I've never heard before. Because Paul Simon, and particularly Graceland, is a big CD in our house. Uh, Graceland is, like, kind of our, like, trip soundtrack whenever you would go anywhere. It's just, you know, that's a classic album. Yeah, the uh, titular I, title song Graceland is literally about going to Graceland. Quite yeah, literally. exactly, exactly. And I hadn't heard. And that album is perfect. I think. Yeah, that it's... album is is perfect. It's one of the better, best I should say, pop albums um, or rock albums or whatever. But I hadn't heard this one. I've known Renee and Georgette Magritte and their dog uh, with their dog after the war. Uh, and that was a favorite Paul Simon song of mine. And I was like, why don't I just listen to what else is around this particular track? Because totally. I didn't rececognize anything else. And I'm like, well, it's Paul Simon. It's probably going to be good. And uh, I fell really hard for this album when I first heard it. And I kept coming back to not just the album itself, but the rest of the songs. And I kind of feel like uh, this, so the songs on, you know, 
Paul Simon's career is such where it's an embarrassment of riches in terms of just good music. But I really, 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 really uh, like his song, the, the songwriting, at least in the lyricism in, in this album. Um, maybe not more or less than any, any other Paul Simon album, but for a little while, I would, if asked, if pressed, I would say this Hearts and Bones was my favorite Paul Simon album. Wow. And I just wanted to give it a little love. Uh, but Noe, have you yeah. heard this album before? No, uh, because <laughs> uh, unlike you and Kellen, my dad, not a Paul Simon guy for a very specific reason. Uh, Your dad is Art Garfunkel. My, yeah, my dad is Art Garfunkel. So uh, he actually, whenever he would see him, he would crash the car immediately as we were driving and be like, that's what it's like working with that stupid piece of shit. Um, so that's that, that's actually why. Do you guys want to move on to the fast pace? <laughs> So you didn't listen to this album at all is what you're trying to say. Well, I tried to, but my dad knocked my phone out of my hand every time I had to try to play it. Um, no, his parents loved Simon and Garfunkel when he was growing mm. up, and so they often played Simon and Garfunkel like around the house is what he told me. And he, I don't know if I, this is an exact quote from him, but he literally is like, that is like nails on chalkboard music to me, Simon and Garfunkel Oh, sure. Is. Uh, and I actually think that that sucks. I'm going to be honest with you. I think that that is a bad opinion, a shitty opinion that my dad has. Because when you're a kid and you don't really, you know, you can't really know what music is out there and your taste is basically being curated for you by your parents, more or less, you probably just are going to think that Simon and Garfunkel and by proxy Paul Simon sucks if your dad hates Simon and Garfunkel with a burning passion. Right. So I didn't really get in to Paul Simon in like a real way until like late high school. I was very late to the game on Paul Simon. But then when I discovered Graceland and you can call me Al and diamonds on the soles of her shoes and stuff like that. And then like the, like the self-titled uh, debut album with like me and Julio down by the schoolyard. I was like, Holy shit. This guy rocks. This guy's awesome. This is great music. My dad's an idiot. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> so, that was when the crack started to form in Noah's relationship with his dad. Yeah. That's when I, that's when I, that's when I sneak into his room every night. I'm like, dude, wake the fuck up. I got something, <laughs> that's something to tell you. And it's that you've got bad taste in music. Um, but I was actually recently talking. It's weird that you picked this album, uh, Kellen, because I was talking to my friend Haley, shout out to Haley. Uh, and she was telling me, we were talking about music and we were talking about how she calls herself a, quote, lyrics guy. And I was mm. like, oh, that's cool. Like, she's really, you know, into lyrics. And I was like, why do you think you're so into lyrics? And she's like, it's because I listen to Paul Simon from, like, ages of 6 to 18, just, like, growing up, just, like, all the time. And I was like, well, send me your favorite Paul Simon songs. And Hearts and Bones was one of the songs that she The title me. track? The title track. Mm. And this Hell was, yeah, like, Haley. this was quite literally, like, five days ago. Like, this was so recent. Like, this yeah. was, like insanely recent and so uh i was shocked when uh that this was picked because i was like this has literally been on my mind but i never heard this album before i had only literally heard hearts and bones because she had sent it to me like right before you picked it i actually brought a clip with me for one of my first paul simon uh instances of all time i literally brought a clip with me uh, okay. I'm going to share my screen with you. I don't think I need to set anything up really for this clip, to be honest with you. Uh, but we're going to do it. So. <laughs> oh, great. So this is like early SNL, like first season. Ladies and gentlemen. Paul Simon. 
for the listeners, Paul Simon is approaching the SNL stage in a big old, what looks like a big old turkey costume. You would be correct. Big old turkey costume. I was just watching this because my mom bought me the first season of SNL on DVD at Costco. Oh, no shit. And I just am watching this, and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. He's just fucking singing this song. Of all the songs he used for this. Modifying the lyrics to be like still a turkey after all these. Forget it, Richard. (laughs) Puts the mic down. You know, I said when the turkey concept was first brought up, I said there's a very good chance I'm going to end up looking stupid if I wear it. Everyone said, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Go ahead, you know. I felt it was not. That's we don't have to lie. The rest of he goes and talks to Lauren Michaels and everything, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I saw that and I was like, oh, that guy is awesome for literally just going out there in a fucking turkey costume and just singing his song, and he sings it really well. That's a very good version of <laughs> yeah. Still Crazy after all these years, and I'm like, damn, that's awesome. Like that is like Andy Kaufman level of like just commitment to something fucking stupid. So. That's really my history with Paul Simon. He's, like, in Evergreen now. It's like, you know, you can't really go wrong with him. Uh, but that's my history with him. Uh, let's talk about this album, shall we, mate? Ooh. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's talk about this album, mates. Uh, this is like sort of like Graceland Light, I feel like. Like, this is sort of like mm-hmm. the yeah. perfect stepping stone, I feel like. If you are like, oh, I like Graceland, well, where should I go next? Probably just go to Hearts and Bones next. I feel like it's a very similar sort of situation, yeah. you know what I mean? Uh, well, and the title tracks are like mirrors of each other, almost. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of similar concepts and similar lyrics and kind of similar tune sound kind of stuff going on. It, yeah, that's what I like the most about this album is it is kind of at least on, in listening to it for the show. I was kind of listening and realizing that it's very. I I don't mean this in a way where the songs sound unfinished, but it's very. St- like kind of more song sketches i feel and kind of more like kind of diary entries i like with the lyrics and a little more i think um open and emotional songwriting to prepare him for writing grace you know and then what comes after this is graceland which is just his whole kind of heart on the table basically and this one i feel like he's working through like his like a recent divorce or something and just like a, a whole slew of troubles i guess with Carrie Fisher. Yeah, yeah, and his so. his other wife too, right? It was Carrie Fisher and then another woman whose name is escaping me. Uh, he, he, he was dating Shelley Duvall for a little bit, I think is what I read. But I don't think they ever were married. Paul Simon's a bit of a dog. Yeah, I, think, uh. <laughs> I read that he, like, oh, I'm forgetting the timeline. He was married to Carrie Fisher and then they divorced, but they were still, like, together. Like, they continued a relationship for a while. Uh after can you say awkward ladies and and gentlemen can you say uh (laughs) weird 
Uh, are you looking it up, Mason? Because <laughs> he was with the woman that Kathy that was in that song America. Kathy is who I'm thinking of. Uh, yeah, that was the British lady, and she didn't like the spotlight, and so they didn't. Uh, oh, I'm thinking of this is it, Peggy Harper, his second wife, who's the father, who's the wife, who's yes. the mother. My goodness, of uh, their son Harper. She's the Betty in. Oh, yes, and she's because yeah, was, so, it was like an inside joke, like somebody had called them. Betty and Al instead of Peggy and Yeah, Paul. the song Train in the Distance is written about their relationship and the divorce. Damn, um, okay. I guess we'll get to that later, but yeah, this is a very kind of, like, divorce guy <laughs> album. Just, like, a beer and, like, a pack of lunch meat in the fridge. <laughs> just sort of just, like... <laughs> one bedroom Yeah, like, one lawn chair and an 85-inch TV and a PS5. Hot dog. Hot dogs thawing in the uh, in a gas station sink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a gas station sink. <laughs> That's a reference to uh, Kirk Van Houten from uh, I forget Fuck. which specific episode of The Simpsons, Fuck. but that's uh, yeah, early Simpsons. What's episode. interesting? Nobody in the chat liked that particular reference. Yeah, and everyone thinks that sucks. Yeah, that was that one sucked. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because what my impression of Paul Simon usually is like when I just think of a Paul Simon song. I think about his, like, first couple albums and Simon and Garfunkel. Like, that's the immediate thing that comes to mind for me. Like, I think about me and Julio down by the schoolyard. I think about America. I think about Mrs. Robinson. And to me, I always think about that as being, like, very light and very sort of just, like, you know, very simple arrangements. And the songwriting is sort of what takes form. But at least in this album, I feel like it's sort of the, the bridge to what Graceland becomes, and you see it a little bit. And it starts to be, I think it actually sounds a little bit more musically complex uh, than what he does in Simon yeah. and Garfunkel and some of his earlier albums in the 70s, at least, because this is now entering the 80s. So it's, it's very interesting to sort of see that evolution of artists where it's like you expect them to be one thing and then their like sound changes, you know, in some way. And it like didn't just come out of thin air, you know, it came out of somewhere. And I feel like that's this album is sort of like the lily pad before the stepping stone into Graceland in this way this is what was the what was the album that taylor swift did between her country Uh-oh. and her pop Wish I, oh red is that what you're thinking of yeah red's yeah kind this of... is like the red of the paul simon <laughs> because he was like the because the early stuff is full totally. which is so i don't simple and not in a derogatory way but just like not a ton of instrumentation, nothing too flourishy, nothing whatever. And then Graceland and everything after is Absolutely. like more toward world music yeah. style, which is really intricate and detailed and Yeah, I was uh I'm a big yeah, fan. Yeah, I was just thinking like even allergies, the first song on this album, is I feel a much more kind of aggressive sounding song and not something that you would you listen to it and I don't think that you would hear it as a Paul Simon song. Absolutely not blind, you know. Um, it's a little, in a way that I think is interesting, though, that this is him and he's being really kind of, um, aggressive. I, I, I really like that song a lot. It's because uh, you have allergies, uh, Mason. Oh! I do. Let's fucking I do. go! I, yeah. All right. Paul Simon gets what it's I, like. Yeah, my hands can't touch a decide, uh, guitar string, yada, yada, yada. Dude, I, my allergies have been fucking killing me lately, so I also have allergies. Yeah, same, dude. Uh, I've been really, oh my god. I've been on, uh... I've got. So, I've been taking so much clarity. You, we've, this is an old. Re- what are, wait, what are, you, what, are you, what are you doing over Nothing. there? Move okay, on. great. Yeah, please. Okay, great. Um, we've had. This is an old argument that we've now are going to rehash. I'm a Zyrtec guy. 
Well, I take Zyrtec at night because it kind of makes Zyrtec me a little makes drowsy. Me tired. My doctor, yeah, my doctor uh, is very, very good, and he gave me uh, 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 generics of Claritin and Zyrtec and said, take the Claritin Zyrtec in the morning and the generic. Uh, I'm sorry, take the Claritin in the morning and the Zyrtec. I take night, Claritin so every day as well. Fuck, maybe I need to get on the Claritin train because I've been taking the pills a are like generic. This big. Well, I've been taking a generic Zyrtec since, like, 2013, and I even got allergy shots when I was growing up to, like, build immunity because oh, really? I was, like, very allergic to cats and, like, still am, and that's another that's another thing. That's oh, another sure. common thread between the hosts of this show uh, is, the, right, is the cat right. allergy. Uh, but also just, like, grass and pollen just, like, fuck me up big time, just like they oh, do everybody sure. else in who has allergies, seemingly. Uh, so I've been taking a generic Zyrtec since I was, like, I don't know, 15 or whatever and not mm. not helping apparently but it like in, in LA they were way better like I didn't have to take a Zyrtec when I lived in LA because the pollen and like all that shit is not as existent at least that was my experience so he's also just one of the best songwriters of all time Paul yeah. Simon is uh, and I yeah. pulled my three favorite lyrics from this album would you guys like to hear these lyrics Hell yeah. yes give it to me baby uh-huh uh-huh uh, allergies the first song my heart can stand a disaster, my heart can take a disgrace, but my heart is allergic to the woman I love, and it's changing the shape of my face. Wouldn't you know it? I wrote that lyric down. Are you too. fucking kidding me, bro? That's really cute. Yeah, bro. That is fucking cute. So that's that lyric is fantastic. It's just like, if you've ever had allergies or been annoyed by anything, it like literally does change the shape of your face because you're just like squinting and whatever, and like... Love is similar where I it's like when you're like infatuated with someone or like, you know, crushing on someone, it's like, fuck, I like cannot get rid of this feeling. And it kind of sucks to a certain degree because you're like, fuck, I am like always thinking about this person no matter what. Uh, and then song about the moon. If you want to write a song about the moon, walk along the craters of the afternoon when the shadows are deep and the light is alien and gravity ke- leaps like a knife off the pavement. Rhyming alien with pavement is pretty insane to me but somehow it doesn't really bother me Mm -hmm. when paul simon's doing it you know he's very good at like making something nonsensical actually be like wow that's true that's a great point because when you're listening to his music i really feel this way in this era of paul simon especially like a bunch of stuff on graceland i feel that way it almost like doesn't matter what he's saying Mm -hmm. it's interesting and that's like the mark of like a really good performer i I think of the obvious child from rhythm of the yes uh and the lyrics in that if you are to just like read through them you'd be like what exactly is going on but when you listen to it you're like this is the greatest song ever written it's you're totally right uh i'm a big fan no i was in his top two percent of listeners on spotify last year because i'm a big fan so <laughs> that is why, why how many hours is that do you know how many hours that is uh i do not I, and okay. that might also be a thing of like most people that use spotify aren't listening to paul simon um it's mostly right. olds. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like I was in the top 2% of Bruce Springsteen fans last year. And I listen to a lot of Bruce Springsteen, but I am like, I, I can't, this doesn't seem right to me. I really feel like the kind of scales are tipped a certain way on here. Yeah. I got one more lyric that I want to share, and it's from Renee and Georgia Magritte with their dog after the war. Side by side, they fell asleep, yeah. decades gliding by like Indians. Time is cheap. When they wake up, they will find all their personal belongings have intertwined. Another just, you are in love with someone for so long that you feel like you are connected to them so much, even your things feel connected. And mm-hmm. that is just a mark, I feel like, right. of old, long-lasting love at that point. Like, you think about grandparents yeah. or whatever, and it's like, damn, they just 
I adore that's, that song. Yeah. That song always gets me a little misty whenever well, I Well, I like it because um, he, he did kind of a, like, magical thing almost where when you listen to it, I didn't put together that he was saying the penguins, the bungos, the orioles until he said the five satins. I didn't realize he was talking about the groups, like the musical groups. I thought he was oh. like, talking about penguins and moonlight and orioles and stuff like that. I'm like, and for Magritte's art, that's not out of the question that he would be bringing right. in kind of nonsensical stuff or naturey stuff in an artistic way. And so he, and then he says the five satins. And I think, uh, I don't remember where I read this. But I think he was kind of going by the idea that, like, because they had, did they, they, like, escaped from Europe after the war, right? Yeah, I think that they escaped, yeah, I think that they escaped the Nazis. And so, like, the idea of listening to that music is, like, experiencing post-war freedom type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, um... It's beautiful. I can't wait until we have uh, Noah and Mason listening uh, with with their dog after coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Noah and Mason recording a podcast in jail <laughs> after coronavirus. Yeah. And, and also, how in the second chorus he he turns it into French, which is their language, to make the lyric rhyme for the end of the chorus. What après like? How do you say yeah. that? Après like where? Après la guerre. Easy stream of laughter oh, yeah. flowing, through, Dor- flowing through the air. Renee and George greet with their dog. Après la guerre. Damn, is that is fucking more. brilliant, actually. To be honest with you, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even know that because it's, it's really like cool. You were saying, does it even matter what he's saying at a certain level? Not really. But then when you actually do look at what he's saying, brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Where did he come from? Uh, we- brilliant. <laughs> like that commercial. Is that a Guinness? Was that an old Guinness commercial? But they would just go brilliant. <laughs> Oh, maybe it was. I think it was. Yeah, I dude. think it was. I think it was Guinness. Uh, would you mind if I if I shared some of my favorite lyrics? Uh, these are not. I don't care, bro. <laughs> I also <laughs> love the last the last verse in Train in the Distance. Uh, what is the point of the story? What information pertains? The thought that life can be better is woven indelibly into our hearts and our brains, like a train in the distance. Isn't that? Doesn't that just like? I, I read that and I just get a shiver down my spine. Um, I I love that line. I love that song. Mm-hmm. Great song. Great album. Is there anything else we need to say before I dive into some fast facts? Um, I just want like, yeah, because this is. Well, I mean, like I I love Paul Simon and I think he's a genius and uh a weird little dude. So I really like him. Um. But I also want to put out there, because this is a, something I had forgotten about until recently, which is that I applied for a job in college on the prospect of maybe meeting Art Garfunkel. <laughs> That's right. That's right. What happened there? Uh, so our school had a, a job called hospitality staff, which was when musical acts would come through or like uh, like performers, basically. And you would be like, you would set up the green room for them and you'd Classic. pick them up from the hotel and you'd make sure they had all the stuff on their right or that kind of thing. And I had a friend who worked on that and I knew that Art Garfunkel was coming to do a concert and I was like, the tickets are sold out and I just like really wanted to see. My friend was like, there's a job opening on hospitality staff. And I was like, great, I'm in. And I applied for the job and I got it. Uh, and I worked a couple of concerts and then he got like snowed in at an airport and he had to reschedule Brutal. for after I graduated. So I wasn't able to actually meet him. But I did, uh, 10,000 Maniacs came through. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, I was cleaning up 
and I was driving them back and forth from their hotel a lot during the day so I met a lot of the road crew and they were very nice and I was cleaning up one of the green rooms at the end and there was like a I can't remember how big like a 50 or 100 dollar bill on the ground and I was like oh here and I, I was just kind of picking up cups and stuff and so I like handed it I was like oh and here you go and I handed that to one of the road guys and he handed it back to me and he goes if any of my people are stupid enough to drop this you deserve to have it <laughs> I was like excellent excellent news for someone on minimum wage that is nice. Look at that. Right. Yeah, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe ten thousand maniacs is the wrong name. Maybe ten thousand nice guys should <laughs> really? be the, name of the band instead. Uh, but I what was what college did you go to? Uh, North Central College in Naperville, Illinois. Okay, well here's the thing: North Central College. Get this hashtag going. Hashtag North Central College. Bring back Kellen McGuire to meet <laughs> Art Garfunkel. That is the hashtag Please. for the episode. So let's hopefully you can meet Mark Garfunkel one of these days. We'll do that in this podcast. It'll be like a mini Make-A-Wish, except um, he will hate it and so will you. I was going to say, he's going to be so mad. He's such a he's grumpus. It's, just, it's an endearing quality, but he'll hate it. Yeah, he'll hate it a lot. Uh, I also wanted to say that the song, we didn't talk about late great the late great Johnny yes. Ace, which is the last like official song on the album. It mm-hmm. took me a couple listens to really like put this together. It's kind of like three different songs in one. It like sounds like three different. Songs. I think it's, like it's like that might be intense. I know it's about three different Johns, in 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 terms of like his inspiration or whatever. Because it Johnny Ace, and then I read something where it, then John Lennon died, and then he connected it also to John Kennedy. Yes. Yeah, I saw, yeah, yes, yeah. At yeah, the yeah. end, they mentioned John Lennon. Like, did you hear the news about Lennon dying or whatever? And I, so I think um, the third is Kennedy. I think. I don't know. And the two of us it's, I mean, it's just went a- to this bar and we stayed to close the place and every song we played is for the late great Johnny Yates. And it's awesome. It's a great piece of like writing because it's very much connects this central idea throughout. It ends in a very satisfying way, just purely on a written level. The music changes. It's just a great little song. Yeah. Like yeah. if you just want to if you just want to know why Paul Simon's great, just listen to that song. And I think, think that song does A&B, the trick really well. Which is like two circles of a Venn diagram have a little piece to interact intersects, but then there's separation between them. Yeah. How'd he do it? I don't know. How did he do the, it? The, the freaking madman put think to put think too much B before think too much A. What is he doing? Where did he come okay. from? Where did he what go? What the where did he come from, Paul Simon Joe? Uh, that what were they what were they smoking? Am I right, guys? When they were putting this album together, what kind of crack and weed? Definitely were not they regular. Smoking? Definitely not my regular. That's Noah's favorite. Is is smoking regular? <laughs> smoking regular is the only type of weed that's good. Um, but I would not know because I don't smoke. Uh, fun facts and fast facts about Paul Simon Hearts and Bones. Simon was born October thirteenth, nineteen forty-one, in Newark, New Jersey. My grandfather also born. 1941 in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, not a, that's like, uh, my newer grandfather. Nope, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I know. It sucks. Uh, two Hungarian Jewish parents. His father, Louis, was a college professor, a double bass player, and dance band leader who performed under the name Lee Sims. His mother, Belle, was an elementary school teacher. Simon's musical career began after meeting Art Garfunkel when they were both 11. They performed in a production of Alice in Wonderland for their sixth grade graduation and began singing together when they were 13, occasionally performing at school dances. Their idols were the Everly Brothers, whom they imitated in their use of the close two-part harmony. After Simon and Garfunkel split in 1970, Simon, rec- or Simon recorded three acclaimed albums over the following five years, all of which charted t- in the top five of the Billboard 200. That is nuts yeah. to me. That you can break up your band, go solo, and just have immediate success. Yeah. Amazing to me. Amazing. 
in an interview with American songwriter, Simon explains the basic themes in his songwriting, love, family, and social commentary, as well as the overarching messages of religion, spirituality, and God. Simon goes on in the interview to explain the process and says, quote, The music always precedes the words. The words often come th- from the sound of the music and eventually evolve into coherent thoughts or incoherent thoughts. I think that's very important because, yeah, sometimes <laughs> they are incoherent thoughts. Rhythm plays a crucial part in the lyric making as well. It's like a puzzle to find the right words to express what the music is saying. In the late 90s, Simon wrote and produced a Broadway musical called The Cape Man, which lost $11 million <laughs> during its 1998 run. There we go. In April 2008, yeah. In April 2008, the Brooklyn Academy of Music celebrated Paul Simon's work and dedicated a week to songs from The Cape Man, with a good portion of the songs being performed by a cast of singers from the Spanish Harlem Orchestra. Simon himself appeared during the shows performing Trailways, Bus, and Late in the Evening. In August 2010, The Cape Man was staged for three nights in the Delacorte Theater in New York City's Central Park. The production wasn't directed by Diane Paulus and produced in conjunction with the Public Theater, also known as The Pub, for those in the know. Uh, in the late 1970s, Simon lived in New York next door to Lorne Michaels of SNL, who has been described as Simon's best friend during that Wow. Period. What a weird-ass... <laughs> what is That's like a you-and-me friendship. Yeah, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a weird-ass... Two weird-ass guys <laughs> living next door to each other just happen to be both like at the top of their fucking powers. Uh, he had a brief relationship with Shelley Duvall after they lived together for two years after uh, she introduced him to Carrie Fisher. His second marriage from 1983 to 1984 was with Fisher, with whom he had uh, an intermittent, or excuse me, did I fuck this up? His second marriage from 1983 to 1984 was to Fisher, with whom he'd had an intermittent relationship with, since mutual friend Richard Dreyfus served as their matchmaker in 1978. Oh, boy. Simon proposed to Fisher after a New York Yankees game. The song Hearts and Bones was written about his relationship, and the song Graceland is also thought to be about seeking solace from the end of a relationship by taking a road trip. Hearts and Bones is the sixth studio album by Paul Simon. The album was originally intended to be called Think Too Much, mm. but Mo Austin, president of Warner Brothers Music at the time, persuaded Simon to change it to Hearts and Thanks, Bones. Mo. Very good idea. Thank you, Mo. Uh, the album was written and recorded following Simon and Garfunkel's concert in Central Park in 1981 and the world tour of 82 and 83. Several songs intended for Think Too Much were previewed on tour, and Art Garfunkel worked on some of the songs with Simon in the studio with an intention that the finished product would be an all-new Simon and Garfunkel studio album. But Garfield left the project, and Simon erased all vocals <laughs> and worked on the material wow. by himself. Wow. When they Isn't that fucked? Up, they broke up, and it happened more than once, but it was always a little petty. Yeah, no fucking kidding. Man. Ah. You could just, I mean, you could dissect that dynamic for an entire episode of a pod, but yeah. Let's That's see. an entire podcast no-no series. Right That's a Spotify original right there, is charting the, the Simon and Garfunkel relationship. They reunited to play a fundraiser for George McGovern, if that gives you any idea of the trajectory. Um, and I actually have a recording of that on, on an album. It was recorded oh. in the room, and it's it's weird. Interesting. I found it at That's a pretty cool. in Chicago. Damn. Are they yelling at the each other a lot in that, and that's why it's weird? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it sounds like somebody brought a tape recorder into a ballroom in the 1970s, like, 70s, 80s. It's bad quality. Oh, sure. But, yeah. Yeah, it sounds like something, sounds like something you'd like, Mason. Yeah, <laughs> if it's wow. bad quality. <laughs> Uh, overall, the album was a commercial <laughs> failure. In a retrospective review, review, William Rollman of All Music called Hearts and Bones Simon's, quote, most personal collection of songs, mm-hmm. one of his most ambitious, mm-hmm. and one of his best. He praised the lyrical handling of the subject of romance and the music's blending of doo-wop and rock and roll roots with contemporary stylistics. Robert... 
Christgau, I believe is how you say it. Christgau, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Later referred to the album as being, quote, a finely wrought dead end. Robert Christgau, you can fuck off. <laughs> uh, that is not what we like on this pod. Uh, now we are going to do He's the part of the show. He's going to wake up with no toes tomorrow. He's going to wake up with no toes, a horse and head in his bed, and a kiss from daddy. <laughs> <laughs> By kiss from daddy, I mean, (laughs) I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give Mason a big kiss, and then I'm gonna put Mason's DNA on Robert Christgau. Mason's DNA. Oh God. Uh, Wrap up, Mason. Mm -hmm. This is the part of the show where we do uh, the Mercedes Valuable Player. Can you actually explain to me that one more time? I don't know if I fully understand the Mercedes. So the Mercedes Valuable Player, player, uh, and I hate that I have to explain this to you so much, Noah. And maybe what I'll do is just text it to you, and you can print it out, and you can put it above your laptop so that you don't forget it. Kind of like how I write. Uh, yeah, use Chrome for therapy or use Audible for recording podcasts above my recording station so that I know uh, how I can... You use an audiobook app Audible. to record your oh! Audacity. Oh, damn it. Oh, damn it. Uh, looks like, but anyways, the looks Mer- like you're... <laughs> that took some audacity. Uh, the Mercedes Valuable Player is an award we give out to uh, an element of something. Could be an uh, performance, a uh, lyric, just the aura of something. Uh, and on uh, uh, to the album uh, in the wrap-up portion of it uh, and to the movie as well when we get there. Named after, of course, uh, uh, Mercedes Ruel uh, and her character Connie from uh, Married to the Mob. And so... I thought you were going to say Kate on Frasier. Or Kate on Frasier. And Kate on Frasier. It's just a a little award that we honor to... uh, We give out to honor Mercedes Ruel and however you find that appropriate. Um, Because... She should have, uh, at the very least, an award named after her, and maybe a statue the size of the Empire State Building, or the Statue of Liberty, which is what I really meant to say. But after that, all, (laughs) Kellen, what is your Mercedes Valuable Player for the album Hearts and Bones? Mine goes to the Penguins, the Moon Glows, the Orioles, and the... Damn. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. There we go. What about you, Mason? I'm going to give mine to Paul Simon's lyrics, like I said, and, and shout out to Haley for also pointing out how good these lyrics are. These are, I think, my favorite lyrics of a Paul Simon album, which is why it resonated with me so much. I think that he's really, um, you know, putting his whole his whole heart on the table this time. You know, I think that he's really um, exploring and, and trying to make sense of love and romance and these relationships that he's experienced. And I think that he does a... Uh, a, a good job of digging down and and putting fun, you know, not just fun rhymes on the t- on the table, but really just um, evocative and, uh, and just 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 good songwriting. I would like a book of lyrics of the collected lyrics from this album, if not the whole song. Uh, Paul Simon, Uva. I have one. Oh, you do. Yeah, you found it for me at a bookstore. When oh, said well, how about that? <laughs> and I bought it. <laughs> hey, Mason, uh, you seem to know our guest pretty well. Maybe you could borrow that <laughs> book from her at some point, dude. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It has Up some to you. I don't know. stuff in there, too, like some pa- pictures of his notes. Oh, very cool. It's pretty cool. Noe, what about you? Hey, can I say my fucking award yeah, now? Dude. Christ oh almighty. Yeah, dude. All right. Jesus. Uh, I also give my Mercedes Valuable Player Award to his songwriting, to his lyrics. Uh, it's kind of the thing maybe that you come for. It also might be the thing that you stay for. Either way, you got to enjoy him because he's one of the best songwriters of all time. So, yeah, that's what I give my Mercedes Valuable Player Award to is his lyrics, his songwriting. And I give this album a regular old recommend. Mason, what about I you? I give this one also a regular old recommend. Cal, how do you feel about this huh? album? 
You recommend it? I think I think I'll give it a regular old recommend, only because I think my big fat recommend goes to Graceland. Like, damn, I love this one. It's a favorite of mine, but I think if we're gonna talk about a perfect album, it would maybe go to Graceland. Yeah. In comparison, in, after listening to this one through, I, there was nothing I disliked about it, but it, but Graceland kind of hits me a bit. Harder. There, yeah. There is a this is this album. Listening to it, I'm like, oh, this is a good album. But you listen to Graceland, and you have a specific feeling associated with Graceland, and that's kind of you know, you, you, that's that's unbreakable. That's that's incredible. Not a lot of other things can do that. I don't know if you should listen to Hearts and Bones before Graceland or after, but definitely listen to them in conjunction with one another yeah. because it is interesting to hear, like I was saying earlier, what you get in Hearts and Bones three years, four years, whatever it was prior to Graceland yeah. and what it evolved into. So either way, you listen to it before, you get to hear an evolution. You listen to it after, you get to hear the Genesis. Either yeah. way. You're gonna and like you it. know what? Turn put on Rhythm of the Saints. You know, make a nice little kind yes. of Paul Simon triptych there. Rhythm of the Saints is also a really, really, really strong album. Um, yes. And after you're done listening to those albums, watch the movie of the <laughs> podcast of the, of the Thank week. Thank you, Segway King. Thank you, Segway King. Yes, yeah. we do have a movie this week. And folks, usually our raison d'etre, if I'm using that correctly, is underrated and undervalued and underseen stuff this week. But... Kellen was having a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, decision anxiety and couldn't come up with a movie to cover or to bring onto the show. And so she asked, what should I, what should I do? Should it just be, you know, should it be this or should it be Kellen's favorite things? And I'm like, if you're coming on the show for the first time, let's just do a Kellen's favorite things. And one of Kellen's favorite things is, preview it, Kellen. It's your. Is singing in the rain. I could shoehorn it and say it's underrated because not a lot of people watch musical movies, but this is like the noted as the greatest musical movie of all time. (laughs) So if you're going to watch musical movies, this is probably the one you've seen. So I I would say mainstream kind of underrated, but for anybody that's seen more than six movies, this is probably not underrated. (laughs) So mo- so to everyone. <laughs> it's, it's not, but listen, we're doing it yeah. anyway. Um, we, Mason, you kind of covered why you picked, uh, or why Kellen ended up picking this movie. But Kellen, hmm. what's your history with Singing in the Rain? Was this a McGuire family classic? What's the deal? Um, I think I saw this for the first time, I want to say like an elementary school music class. Our teacher like threw it on, I think it was, um, I don't remember what year, but mm. I remember watching it and being like, What's this? I was trying like, to remember. Really? I thought that we saw went downtown to see this in Grant Park, but I know we did that with Guys and Dolls, and I was trying to remember if we did this for singing. I don't in the think rain we did well. it. If we did, it was after that because then I remember like coming home and being like, "I need to see this again," and like watching it a lot, and it's become my like chicken soup movie. You know the like sure. thing you throw on all the time, uh, and. I am a fan of musicals and musical things, and I was actually kind of tempted to, like, bring this on and then also have you listen to a musical album, but I didn't. Um, um, and I think, I mean, everybody agrees this is, like, the greatest musical movie ever made, but, like, I, it's my, of the ones that I've seen, it's also my favorite, and I, I just say that to separate that, like, I don't always like things that critics seem to like. Oh, um, yeah. Interesting. I don't mean it's that in like a, like, <laughs> I don't mean that in a, like, 
tip my hat kind of way. I mean, like, I like the, sh- the <laughs> shitty 2000s movies, like George of the Jungle and um, other stuff. So, like, my taste is not always to be followed, I guess I would say. Um, but this is, like, my favorite movie. And I think it's, for people that don't watch movie musicals, this is the one that I tell them to watch because it's the least like if I was going to tell them to watch Oklahoma they would be like why is there a seven minute ballet that makes no sense <laughs> that is actually cool <laughs> that, that is actually cool I think the seven minute ballet that makes no sense um, but I understand this one, it kind saying. of fits but, and it like follows the thing or whatever um, but sometimes movie musicals get a little like heady and theater stupid <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, for theater people, it's, like, excellent, I love this, but for, like, I say mainstream audiences only because I feel like most people aren't inclined toward musicals. Maybe that's... Not anymore. Not I, I, I think that... Yeah, like, it's... Yeah. It's faded. Right, right. They still make faded. them. Like, there's an In the Heights movie coming out, and there's Spielberg's West Side Story, so they're trying to make musicals come back, I, I feel... Um, but it's not... They're trying to make musicals happen, like it, like in Mean Girls, when they say, don't stop trying to make Fetch happen, stop trying to make movie, <laughs> movie musicals happen. That's what they're saying. I still have never seen Absolutely. Mean Girls all the way through. Um, but yeah, kind of I really up, do yeah. think... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's not, you're right, Kyle. I don't think that... I think that musicals now... Um, niche almost seems like too small of a word because there's millions of people that love musicals and that's their thing. It's just like, you know, being a, a musical theater person, you know? Um, but it's yeah. not like a mainstream kind of um, fascination, I guess, anymore. I mean, what was the last like big Broadway musical? Hamilton, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And- Hamilton, I think, was probably like the last one. I mean, that was like a cultural sensation. But then you go back to 2016 and La La Land is a musical. People, you know, went fucking nuts over La La Land. People went nuts over Cats, whether it was, That's you know, true. for genuine for purposes buttholes. or not. Yeah, it was for the butt. It was for the dancing. It was for the off, uh, off time dancing cockroaches. <laughs> it was for it was for the buttholes, dude. <laughs> That's what it was for. Those was cowards for won't release the butthole cut. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so musical, I mean, I think people I think there is a con- like the Greatest Showman was a fucking huge. That's also true. That's also true. Yeah, yeah, and that one was... never brings. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mm. I haven't seen the Greatest Showman Whoa. either. Uh... Yeah, I have not seen yeah. that movie at all. That's like that was very aggressive. Like I didn't Facebook mean that in an ant. aggressive way. I just mean that like I hate it. <laughs> it doesn't seem it like a good like movie. It feels like Facebook ant movie. <laughs> that yeah. to me is like I mean, Pasek and Paul wrote the music for that, and they're the ones who did Dear Evan Hansen. Um, and I don't like that musical that much. I'm gonna be honest with you. Sorry. I don't like. I don't think that they write for voices well. That's sure. part one, but also they like all of the songs that they wrote for The Greatest Showman had nothing to do with P.T. Barnum. They were just, like, you could put those on any storyline and they would still apply. <laughs> and they That's chose awesome. to write a movie about P.T. Barnum and, and make him seem like a hero. And I was like, of all the things you could have done with these generic songs... And why, why did it have this? to be P.T. Barnum if they weren't... Uh, to my to my understanding of the movie, they don't even really follow his biography that much. Like, they could have just had him be, like, some other dude. Here's my thing about Dear Evan Hansen. Why listen to the musical when you could just watch World's Greatest Dad and get the same exact thing out of it? 
That is a crazy thing. <laughs> Am I wrong, though? <laughs> he said. Why listen to a musical uh, about someone denying a family the right to grieve properly when you could just watch a movie about it instead? Why go to see live theater at all when you could sit in your house <laughs> in your fucking disgusting filth and watch a movie that makes you sad? <laughs> Um, I think, so that's that's the thing. I mean, people have written about it in much smarter ways, but the heyday of movie musicals has yet to be repeated. In yeah, in the nineteen sixties, like like five of the Best Picture winners were musicals. It was fucked up. And I think it was yeah. I, there is something about I think the way people treated them, where like now it's like look. It's a music like they're singing and dancing on screen. And back then it was like this is what we're doing. Right. They used to be like the kind of the big ticket things that the studios would put out every year, like those big spectacles or those big musicals or something. Like they really used to bring in a lot of money. And then after a while they kind of just became too expensive to produce and they weren't making a ton of money. Um Mark Harris's book Pictures at the Revolution, which is about the nineteen sixty eight best picture uh winners which is like dr doolittle and then bonnie and clyde and, and the start of the new hollywood movement kind of covers it really well um uh, but we're not here yeah to night, so that. i'm looking at mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on dvd.com a netflix company hell yeah uh, <laughs> is what, what i'm on right now in the 60s west side story wins mm-hmm. my fair lady wins mm-hmm. the sound of music wins mm-hmm. And Oliver, which I was in, played Mr. Bumble, uh, won in 1968 or 69, whatever year that technically was. And then Chicago in 2002 won, and that's the last time that a musical won. It's so weird that Chicago won Best Musical, or Best Picture. I think the other thing is, like, it's just, like, I mean, and I'm not a movie person, so I don't know a ton about this from, like, an academic standpoint or whatever, but, like, the way... Like, with the spectacle and the, like, and when they do movie musicals now, it's, like, crazy camera angles and, like, crazy effects and, like, everything is so heightened. And back then it was just, like, the scene and then they would start singing in the scene. Like, it was just a continuation of what was going on, which is closer to what you see on stage. Yeah, totally. And so I think part of the reason why it's different or why it's not quite the same is that, like, they're back then they were treated as, like, it's a movie and it happens to be with singing and dancing and now it's like this is a movie musical this is a big deal and i think that kind of yeah turns some and now every musical off. is based off a movie too <laughs> that's the other thing true it, it, it i think it's the it's you know i think you guys are onto something the mcguire's you know super, super siblings just put their heads together and <laughs> brain blasted this <laughs> fuck um and that is it's just become another corporate thing. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. who's gonna go see an original musical <clears throat> if it's not based on an intellectual property? Probably, you know, there are exceptions, obviously, but exceptions prove the rule. And then same thing with a movie. Why would you pay twenty dollars a ticket to take the family of four or five to go see a movie if it wasn't going to be spectacle driven in the minds of the people who are making the economic decisions for the studio? Yeah. That's why Greatest Showman, fucking, you know rocked people's cocks is because it was just this huge <laughs> spectacle movie Hugh Jackman's in it he's a huge bankable star and it's just a money money machine it's a hundred feel, yeah it feels machine. so clean like a money machine baby yeah. feels so clean like a 20th century fox <laughs> being bought by Disney <laughs> situation and, and, and um, it's like I don't know so. the the one of the tenants of musical theater one of the like I don't know I don't know how to describe it but like when you analyze a 
musical theater piece when the songs come in the whole purpose of having the songs there is like this we couldn't just say it we had to sing it like sure and and so when you have the heightened movie style with this spectacle and all that stuff it makes it seem even huger and even more outrageous or whatever whereas previously it was like we're singing but it's still a continuation of the scene and I think that it kind of like bad like I don't hate modern movie musicals but I think they're just kind of like a almost a bastardization of what they used to be damn um I, again I don't hate them but I think like it took from a like a pure like a kind of con- like it concentrated it in a way that I didn't appreciate I know a lot of people like it, and I don't want to, you know, share other people's opinions. I guess, yeah, I think it's different because, like, La La Land was such a clear homage. Oh, that was Pesek and Paul, too. The people that wrote Greatest Showman and Jerev and Hansen, they did La La Land. Oh, shit. Um, It's, like, La La Land is such a clear homage, not just to, like, this, like, the Sing in the Rain kind of era of of movie musicals, but, you know, it's very clearly an homage to... Jacques Demy and that kind of time. It's interesting because, like, people, Absolutely. yeah, people will say, like, oh, I don't really like musicals or whatever. And then, like, every Disney movie will be a blockbuster and will, you could exactly. categorize yeah. it as a musical. Yeah. What's going on? And they're going to put fucking all those movies on the stage. Is there a Frozen Broadway musical yet? Yes. Is there a Moana Broadway musical yet? No. There isn't. Let's see. Let's see if we got one in the works. Probably got one in the works. And you know Lin Manuel. You know Lin Manuel is going to have his. Listen, if it wasn't for what's their names that wrote La La Land, Lin Manuel would have egot it in 2016. He probably would have won the Oscar for. he probably wouldn't win the Oscar for Moana. That's what everyone was predicting. And then all of a sudden, City of Stars just came and really knocked the house down. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, So, there is, according to MTIshows.com, Disney's Moana Jr., the 60-minute oh. version. Uh, sure. Disney's Tom Moana Jr. Do it. <laughs> is a musical adaptation of the 2016 Disney animated film bringing the adventures of Moana and her beautiful village of Montanui to life on stage. Moana Jr. features all the beloved songs from the film written by Tony, Grammy, Emmy, and Pulitzer Prize-winning composer Lin-Manuel Lin- Miranda. He's almost a P-Got, and there's only two others. One is Marvin Hamlish, one is... Alan Menken? Mason McGuire. Yes. <laughs> I am a peon. <laughs> the other peon. Um, yeah, more like a peon. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Oh, the only, I was going to say, the only Disney movies that I can think off the top of my head that do not have stage adaptations, besides, um, well, Moana does, but is maybe Princess and the Frog, mm, and right. Tangled might, I don't know about Tangled. Tangled, I don't think Tangled does I don't think Tangled does. Interesting. And that- Enchanted. Oh, um, Enchanted would be a great would be is, a great stage play. Well, I think the trick is, and I think this is why they don't have like a Giselle that wanders around Disney World is because the animation it was all based on Amy Adams's face, so she would have to like sell her likeness or whatever. Oh, in order for, okay, okay. I don't know. That's that was something I read once, but yeah, no, but yeah, like people say they don't like musicals, and then they geek out over Disney stuff, and I'm like, you're you're seventy five percent of the way there. <laughs> yeah. So my history with singing. <laughs> uh, again, I came to this movie extremely late in the game. Uh, I had never seen this movie until I was like 16 or 17. 
when I was around 16 or 17, I started collecting DVDs, which was something my parents told me, do not do that. That is a bad that use is, of your money. That's smart <laughs> you on your know? parents. They caught you early. It was too late for me. <laughs> well, I did it anyway, and I have a lot of fucking DVDs and Blu-rays sitting in storage in California right now, so they did not win. They actually lost on that one, uh-huh. so congratulations, Mom and Dad. You fucked up. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, not really. Uh, so <laughs> I got this to the super late. I actually bought a DVD drive for my MacBook because my MacBook was one of the first, my old laptop, mm. was one of the old, uh, was one of the first computers not to have a DVD drive. Mine does not so. either. I do the same. Oh, well, it was came in a lot of handy because uh, I was like, hmm, I want to watch Singing in the Rain, but my dad will not watch that with me, and there is one TV in this house other than the one in his room that I am not going to use, and so I'm going to watch Singing in the Rain on my 2013 MacBook Pro. <laughs> 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 That's what this is! Uh, obviously, obviously that is the best way to watch the movie, and it's what God intended yeah. <laughs> when you're not, watching the movie. Not on a portable it's- DVD player? Which is how I used to watch. It's the listen. Some of the most me- m- beautiful memories of watching things come on those portable DVD players. So no, no flack on that one. But uh, the only other time I had seen this movie besides watching it on my little laptop was at my college because I had a class where we would watch movies because I went to film school and we watched Singing in the Rain Ooh. in the theater. So I've actually seen this movie in the theater at my school I got and that s- was pretty amazing. I got to see this at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra because they used to do a thing where they would Fuck. do movie scores a couple times a year and they did Singing in the Rain. They actually did it twice and the first time I was going to go and then my grandma wanted to go and it's also her favorite movie and we were like, let's let her go see it. Um, Because my aunt and uncle had like season... Not season, but like for that particular the movie series, they bought tickets. Yeah, they to, bought the package. Yeah, for that, th- and um, so she went, and then when it came back around, I went and saw them play along live. I also got to see them do West Side Story, that was really cool, and I think we saw Casablanca. We saw Casablanca. Um, Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. There's a couple Charlie Chaplins. I'm pretty sure a couple Buster. And then Keatons. there was one that was like. The best of John Williams, or like Roger Ebert's favorite. Yeah, yeah. The they Pixar did, scores. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, they also did Pirates of the Caribbean. You didn't go to that one. They also did Psycho. Did you didn't go to that me. one. <laughs> that movie scares me too. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, um, don't watch it then. <laughs> if it's gonna scare you. Why are you um, trying to limit me? I'm I'm a guest here. I'm not trying to limit you. I'm just saying, if you don't want to be scared, don't watch the movie. I'm actually helping you. I'm actually doing an amazing thing, and you're spitting in my fucking face like a mean old lady whose candy I took a little bit from the bowl. And you're like, you can only take one. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought I was only picking up one. And it was like one of those strawberry candies that you actually can't buy anywhere, but somehow all old ladies have them. So, kind of cool. No, is there a very um, specific drama the- you want to work out on the show real quick? Yeah. Anyways, this is one of the best. <laughs> anyways, this is one of the best movies I've ever made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what else you could say about it other than that, uh, but it really is just like fucking nonstop. Fun it's just one of those, and, like, yeah. Beauty. It's one of those fires on all cylinders movies. Like that was really what I my impression watching this. I can't remember the last time I watched it. I have seen it a handful of times. There, not nearly as as much as Kellen has, but uh, watching it this time, I was just like. Man, this movie just like starts and it keeps going and it doesn't stop and then it's over and you are still ha- you still have the good singing in the rain feeling, you know? Like it just makes mm-hmm. you feel happy uh watching it uh whenever you watch it. I can see why it's a favorite. 
I took a the I took a tap class in college. Super cool. I was a theater major. Yep. Uh, didn't yep. think I need to say that, but maybe I do. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. But um, uh, for the one thing, I used to be an Irish dancer, and so uh, I've never learned how to dance. With, wait, no, no, <laughs> this is important. I've never learned how to dance with the upper half of my body. <laughs> and so scary. in the tap class, they're always like, "You need to move your arms." And I'm like, "I really can't." Um, and in the tap class, we learned uh, the first I don't know how much quarter of Moses supposes. Nice. And there's, like, things you have to do with your hands to, like, make it work. And I just, like, could not do it. And my teacher's like, Kellen, you need to move your arms. And <laughs> it was horrific. Um, but it was fun. And to that point, the, the other thing about this movie is that with Gene Kelly, who is, like, a top talent of all time, yeah. and Donald O'Connor, who is a masterpiece, like, you... They, it looks so easy. Everything that they're doing looks so easy. And people talk about sure. this all like, it looks so easy, but it's really not. Like, it's really not. Like, it took us weeks to learn, like, eight bars of their tap routine that they were just, like, firing off. They're, Damn. The stuff that they're doing in this movie is in, is just out of this world. The Mason, I think you and I are going to have to take some dance lessons here. I'm down, maybe. man. Let's do take, it. It'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> take this show on the road and we can do our we can be our own one I was th- yeah I like... was thinking during the the opening bit of this the, the kind of, when Don Lockwood is giving his like his history you know and you're seeing like the kind of like dissolves in and out of his like early vaudeville yes. career I was like damn that's me and Noe every time that we fire up the podcast <laughs> I wrote down for fit as a fiddle I wrote fellas is it gay to dance back to front with your bro playing violins in matching suits <laughs> <laughs> the answer who uh, no no that's what, no 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 and I did that every night in L A and it was like right when we met each other too it was uh, really cool that we had somehow had that complimentary skill of playing the fiddle and wearing matching comp- uh, matching suits yeah we just both somehow knew the choreography beforehand which actually was very it was very cool we didn't have to waste any time mm-hmm. I brought another clip can I play my clip I guess Absolutely. this is uh, this is new. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I'm a nice my... visual clip for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, this is the only thing I knew about singing in the rain, really, prior to seeing it before I was 16 and 17. Of course. Oh, no. oh here we go. <laughs> All right, we're going to do it once more. <laughs> uh, and this time, no mistakes. One, two, three, four. Good morning. Good morning. It's great to stay up late. Good morning. Good morning to you. When the band began to Damn, play, Peter's the skies were shining bright. But now the milkman's on his way. It's too late to say good night. So <laughs> yes, bro. Ah, Joe. Sunday He's the Gene Kelly. Yes. Good morning. 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 Um, so that is, that is one of the funniest clips of all time. <laughs> and I don't want to share that with you guys. Um, um, I think we should so. also be, uh, we should notably bring up, uh, the episode of Sweet Life of Zack and Cody when they did the high school musical crossover, uh, and London gets to play Sharpay, even though she can't sing. And so they say, we're going to do singing in the rain. And she goes, I can't learn another musical. Uh, <laughs> no, Ashley Tisdale, damn. who originally played Sharpay, is going to be behind the curtain singing Bop to the Top. Oh, a wonderful tribute. <laughs> 
Wow. The, 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 the fucking roots of this movie go so deep <laughs> that even Family Guy and High School Well, I do feel like on the Mount Rushmore of at least, like, American movies, Singing in the Rain has got to have a little spot, you know? Like, this... This it is, should if, yeah. if 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 people don't think it sh- it should because it's I don't know if you're gonna get into this in the fast facts or not knowing but this is not just like I didn't realize until maybe late teens early twenties that most of the songs in here are like repurposed from other like kind of earlier musicals like even singing in the rain was from is like an old like kind of Tin Pan Alley song that I want to like- say ton of movies yeah yeah Yeah, but uh, the only it's kind of like how there's like a couple different maltese falcons before we got the bogart maltese falcon um but the only original ones i think were make them laugh and you are my lucky star or broadway melody maybe broadway melody would make sense i do not have that in the fast facts i don't think i think maybe at one point i didn't i cut it out because i said Okay, who cares? But I guess it I know "Make Them Laugh" is one of that. them, and uh, also "Make Them Laugh" was one of the two songs I used on my MySpace profile ever. <laughs> Damn! What was the other Potential one? Potential breakup song by Allie and AJ. Damn! You only fuck you. Oh, d- please just miss once, Kelly. Please, just <laughs> I was incredibly miss <laughs> SpongeBob crashing through your bedroom door. It was Dick just hanging out, hitting the floor, screaming, "Please just miss once, just miss once." Um, uh, the the uh, make him laugh sequence is just the best thing I've ever seen. It is just that good. It is like one of the best moments in movie history, in my opinion. I think that Donald O'Connor is actually the real sort of like. You come because you know about Gene Kelly, but then you see Donald O'Connor dance and sing and do make him laugh, and you're like, that is the fucking secret sauce of the movie, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, Donald O'Connor, yeah. yeah, Donald O'Connor, it's not a thankless role, but, like, it's, since he's not Gene Kelly and since he's not Debbie Reynolds, and he is kind of just there as a comic relief, you don't really rec- realize at first, I don't think, how just, like, kind of masterful his performance is. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, he's just, it's such a good supporting performance. Like, he's never, he's he's in that perfect, like, kind of supporting actor just balance where he's n- not adding too much to the scene and not taking away from the scene. But the scene, if he wasn't, like, if I, man, I'm just thinking about, like, how, uh, maybe not boring, but having him and like having this be like such a trio, I think centered movie really pushes it over the edge because it's um, I don't have the, an end of the thought there yet. So someone else start talking, please. <laughs> so fucked that you don't have the end of the thought to that. Uh, um, yeah, no. Go for it, Kellen. He, I mean, there's a great thing that he's also known for a great dance number where he's dancing on roller skates, which is uh, intense. Not in this though, right? What? Not in Singing in the Rain, he's not dancing. No, Donald it's a different. Oh, okay. It's a, no, it's a different, a different movie musical. Um, and that's like one of the other things that he's really known for. Uh, but I feel like he, um, I I also lost my train of thought. I had something when you were talking, and then it flew out of my brain. This happens a lot. I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> Damn, McGuire McGuire family McGuire family trait. Um, yeah. the. When he would sing his titular Singing in the Rain song, before I ever watched the movie, and even still when I think about that scene, 
I don't think that he says, I'm laughing at clouds. I think he always is saying, I'm laughing at God. I always think <laughs> that he's saying... That I'm smoking that loud. I'm smoking that regular weed. I always think that he's saying, I'm laughing at God. And I'm like, that's one of the most sinister things that you could say. Just like this madman walking around the rainy streets of LA, just laughing at God. Someone coming up to him going, sir, what are you doing? I'm laughing at God. <laughs> just freaking the fuck out. Um, oh, so that's crazy God. that I think that. Uh, and Debbie Reynolds is the most attractive person in the entire world in this movie. She's so fucking hot. I remembered hot. my thought. I didn't realize that this episode was going to be the Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds episode. But oh, okay, that's true. There. I'm fine it went there. Yeah. Yeah, we're all fine with that. She was 19. No, no one's she was 19. She was itty bitty. And she is. Uh, she was living with her parents and commuting to set. <laughs> she's a star. From from moment one, when Gene Kelly drops in her car, she holds her own. She holds her own against him. Like one, maybe one of the biggest stars at that time, Gene Kelly. And you know what? Uh, she is incredible. She is a little kitty patootie in this movie. She has another thing I think she did before this where she plays like a human football and she gets thrown around by people dressed up like football players. I'm not what kidding. The hell? I'm not kidding. It's a bunch of male dancers dressed up like football players and she's getting tossed around like a football. I'm gonna see I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna find it. You can find it. Um This whole movie also just looks exactly like what you think old Hollywood looks like. Like it's sort of the quintessential like Damn, like American movies look amazing. Okay, you, hold on. I'm going to give you permission to share it real quick. Can I? I don't know how to do that. Yeah, oh I'm going to give you fucking permission to share it, so yeah. now you can share it. This is a great Here's old me. Hollywood movie. I love that this is about the uh, the transition from silence into sound uh, and how that completely upended Hollywood low-key. Uh, we have not mentioned... And a lot of people's careers, too. Yes, and we have not mentioned Lena L- Lamont yet. Uh... <laughs> I have to change. Yeah, she is. Uh, she's a pain in my ass. I'll say that. Pain in my Who's the ass. actor that Colin, plays her? You... I think she's really, really, Jean really, Hagen, really funny. I think is her name. Can you can you share it? I Are you to, trying like, to share on it on my what? computer? Say Zoom is allowed to do this. Oh my god! Oh. So she, yeah. So Debbie. So for the audience at home, there's a bunch of dancers. Uh, it kind of looks like the football scene from The Dark Knight Rises. It looks like the puppy yeah, bowl. Yeah, and it looks like the puppy uh, bowl Debbie set. Reynolds. Is, Debbie Reynolds is in. Oh, oh, what's up? What's up, dude? Oh, hey! I love him. What a what a nice looking fella. Uh, but Debbie Reynolds is in like a brown leotard and a a cap that has like the kind of the you know the 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 stripes or the stitches on it. She's rolling around. She's just got picked up. Uh, they're literally throwing her between. The red players. This is really just a bunch of red guys. This is an impressive. Uh, this is an impressive display here. Um, I'm very much like a crow, where like shiny, pretty, big musical numbers are very fun for me to. Watch. Well, it's interesting. It's it's like that's such a creative set that people don't have anymore. Like, there's not like a musical kind of. Uh, I mean, at least not not in movies, at least. But it doesn't feel like they put a lot of thought into that spectacle because you need to pay human performers to do that. You can't just do it all on a computer. Maybe one day we'll be able to, uh, but I would hate to see that happen. Because uh, there's really nothing like watching a bunch of like flesh and blood people just like move in a, in a three-dimensional space. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to say, and you kind of already touched on it, Mason, but we didn't finish it because the clip came up, was this is a movie about making movies also. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people think about that, or at least I don't think about that when I think about this movie because I'm so... 
just thinking about the performances and the dancing and the way it looks and stuff that I don't think about the actual plot of the movie, which is also very good. It is also a very well-written story about guy should be with girl who he's not with and then ends up with girl who he should be with by the end. And you're like, oh, everything worked out. It's great. It's beautiful. It's fun. Uh, But it's also a movie about making movies, which is a nice little subgenre of movie that exists out there. And this is one that you don't see very much because of just maybe lack of interest in the fact that this was made in the 50s and that happened 30 years ago I think uh, the t- at the time yeah. of the being made. I think, made, the, t- I think you know? the time, the, the length of time is, is, the, is the principal thing because, yeah, this movie came out in 1953 and that and the song, or it's 52 and the movie takes place in 27. Like, you know, that is less than 30 years earlier and there's still, you know, people that were probably working at that time that you could, like, nudge and ask for, you know, anecdotes or something about, mm-hmm. about that totally. time period. Totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, it doesn't exist, but it, it's, it's, it's not uninteresting. I really love that era of Hollywood, like that kind of like, ju- like the beginning of the kind of movie era when it was really just like kind of, uh, off the fucking chain, basically <laughs> a lot of murders, a lot of sure. drugs. Uh, it's, uh, interesting to me, but I think, yeah, oh man, I had, mm-hmm. oh, I was gonna say, I think that was something when I was reading about a while, I, a while back I was reading and they were talking about the costumer and how this was like the most intense thing he'd ever costumed and he had done Gone with the Wind and he was like, there's people that were alive when this movie was taking place so I had to be really attentive to detail whereas when I made Gone with the Wind people were not alive anymore who had been alive in that time so it wasn't as pertinent to be like detail perfect or something to that effect. Like, the proximity to what had actually happened meant that they had to be like cognizant of that. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It is. I mean, that just is true. I, I think there's like this old clip of like to tell the truth or something like that, where it's like one guy is like the last remaining Civil War. That's soldier. right. Yeah. And this is yeah. like from the 50s, you know, and that you think that's uh, like le- like 90 years from when the Civil War ended, and this guy was probably 17 or 18 when he was fighting in the Civil War. So maybe there were people who fought in the Civil War who like were around then for like Gone with the Wind, but like yeah. more yeah, people yeah, yeah, yeah. were around for the turn of sound in, in movies and whatever. Uh, folks, for the sake of time, I feel like I should get into these fast facts here. Yeah. How, how do we feel yeah, about let's that? Do it. The film... Singing in the Rain was only a modest hit when it was first released. O'Connor won the Golden Globe for Best Award for Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy, and Betty Comden and Adolph Green won the Writers Guild Award of America for their screenplay, while Gene Hagen was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. That is who played um, the, the dumb <laughs> bitch. Uh, Calvin who put together. Uh, <laughs> I can't stand him. <laughs> I'm stupid, is what she said. I make movie, more right? than Calvin Coolidge put together. Uh, However, it has since been accorded legendary status by contemporary critics and is often regarded as the greatest musical film ever made, as well as the greatest film made in the Freed unit of Metro-Golden-Weyer, which I didn't actually know what the Freed unit was until uh, like I was doing research for this. And uh, what's his name? Arthur Freed just like was in charge of these like big musicals, basically, for MGM at the time. Some of his big hits, he was an associate producer for The Wizard of Oz. Uh, he was a producer on Meet Me in St. Louis. Mm. He was a producer on Zigfield Follies, mm. on uh, t- on Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Annie Get Your Gun, Singing in the Rain, The Bandwagon, you know, whatever, <gasps> GG, all that good shit until he died. So Gigi. he was a uh, he he was a big he was a power player, as they say. 
Uh, also, not a very good guy, and you can do your own research on that, but on my research on him, not a great guy. Uh, so don't want to celebrate him too much, I don't think, but worth noting that's what the Freed unit was when they talk about the Freed unit. He was like in charge of all these really successful movies. For the Make Him Laugh number, Gene Kelly asked Donald O'Connor to revive a trick he had done as a young dancer, running up a wall and completing a somersault. The number was so physically taxing that Connor, who smoked four packs of cigarettes a day at the time, ended up in the hospital in bed after uh, for a week after its completion. He suffered from exhaustion and painful carpet burns. Unfortunately, an accident ruined all of the initial footage, so after a brief rest, even Donald O'Connor agreed to do the difficult number all over again. That is actually fucked up, to be honest Four with you. packs uh, of cigarettes a day? And that was in 1952, too, so there was no filters on that. He was smoking just straight like lightning strikes, just really filling his lungs with some uh, Tennessee tar, some North Carolina tar or whatever. My goodness gracious. It was uh, not easy. That's almost as, <laughs> I was just going to say, that's almost as much as you smoke a day, Mason. Uh, so, very cool. Just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, f- uh, Debbie Reynolds remarked many years later that making this movie and surviving childbirth were the two hardest <laughs> things that she's ever done in her life. Uh, the filming experience was particularly unpleasant due to the harsh treatment from Gene Kelly. Decades later, Kelly expressed remorse about his behavior, saying, quote, I wasn't nice to Debbie. It's a wonder that she still speaks to me. Uh, no kidding. Only 19 years old. Actually, Kellen, you said this, but I'm going to shout you out again. When she was 19, when she was cast in the movie and she lived with her parents and had to commute to set, she woke up at 4 a.m. and rode three different buses to the studio. Sometimes to avoid the commute, she would sleep on the set. That sucks. Uh, A microphone was hidden in Debbie Reynolds' blouse so her lines could be heard more clearly. During one of the dance numbers, her heartbeat can be heard, mirroring what happens to Lena Lamont in the movie herself. That is very cool. That is like a little movie god moment where you don't plan that and it just works out. Uh, Most of the characters in this movie are based on actual people, including R.F. Simpson, who is obviously a parody of Louis B. Mayer and Touches of Arthur Freed. Dora Bailey is an obvious caricature of Luella Parsons. Not actually (laughs) that obvious. You didn't see that? (laughs) No, I didn't see that fucking coming. Are you kidding me? Uh, Zelda Zanders, the Zip Girl, is based on Clara Bow, the one of the earliest It Girls in the in entertainment. Mm. Roscoe Dexter, the director of, the, is based on the eccentric director Eric von Stroheim, and Olga, the Vamp at the premiere, is based on Pola Nagiri and Gloria Swanson, obviously. Uh, the soundstage used in the signature "Sing in the Rain" scene is used for street scenes in, you guessed it. Seinfeld. What do you mean we're walking on the streets of <laughs> Singing in the Rain? I don't Wait, even like that movie. Why you gotta sing like in the George rain? Say George! I'm laughing at God, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing at God Jerry! Ah, <laughs> uh, we love that. That is funny for us. Uh, in the sequence in which Gene Kelly dances and sings the title song while spinning an umbrella, splashing through puddles, getting soaked with rain, he was sick with a 103-degree fever. The water used in the scene caused Kelly's wool suit to shrink. A common myth is that Kelly managed to perform the entire sequence in one take, thanks to cameras placed at predetermined locations. However, that's not actually true. Filmmaking took place over two to three days. Another myth is that the rain was mixed with milk in order for the drops to show up better on camera but the desired visual effect was produced, albeit with difficulty through lighting instead. And last fast fact, and then we'll get into the Mercedes Valuable Player and Recommends, Betty Comden and Adolph Green report that when they met Francois Truffaut at a party in Paris, uh, Truffaut was very excited to meet the author, The authors of, I'm going to butcher this French title, Chanton sous le pluie. <laughs> I believe is how you say that in French. Uh, he told them that he had seen the film so many times that he knew it frame by frame and that he and fellow director and screenwriter Alan René, among others, went to see it regularly at a small Parisian movie theater where it sometimes ran for months at a time. That is amazing. Yeah, 
my Mercedes valuable player for this. Got to be Donald O'Connor. Got to be make him laugh. Like I said, I think he's really the true shining star of this movie, even though he is maybe not in the most uh, important, quote-unquote, role. I really do think that he is sort of the cream of the crop when it comes to this, in a movie full of cream of the crop cream of the crop performers and all that so it's gets a full recommend for me no question about it one of the greatest movies ever made easy five stars mason what's your mercedes valuable player and do you recommend this movie? donald o'connor i respect i was very close to giving that my mvp uh, but i have to give mine to uh two musical numbers one is the is the um titular song and the titular number singing in the rain just because um it's just a song and a sequence that is just kind of like on the periodic table of elements for the element of joy singing in the rain is very cl- like basically that that, that sure. element that broken down elemental um like just the feeling that you're so happy you're singing in pouring rain not even like a, a nice modest drizzle like just that heavy like los <laughs> angeles like kind of march february rain like you know what i'm talking about no you know how yeah the kind of rain that makes you laugh at me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, And we didn't get a chance to touch on it, but I really, it's, there's, I don't know, I still can't figure out why exactly there's this whole ass Broadway melody sequence, but I love it. It's so cool. I can tell you, I think it was a thing of the time to do big ballet, um, big ballet things, but I was kind of reading about it and reading about Cicerise because she was like pretty much a movie dancer she didn't have any stage experience really like she had done dance classes and stuff and then she just kind of jumped into movies so i was reading about her because it was interesting and the whole ballet sequence like when she plays the vamp kind of character with the with the green dress and the short hair that's like somebody said that's kind of representative of don's relationship with lena where like she's the entree into the world and she's like what he doesn't want like she's appealing but not really and then when she flips to the ingenue thing with the long hair and the flowy dress and whatever that's supposed to be kathy it like it's kind of a symbolism and a way to bring in some ballet and some jazz and, and i mean they make it work in the script of like it's this is the dance number we're putting in the movie which feels kind of hokey but <laughs> <laughs> but i uh i love that whole sequence i love its his whole 10 minute thing and i especially love uh sid charise i have a big old cross on sid charise at some point in the future i would love to bring on another stanley don and gene kelly musical called it's always fair weather that she features very heavily in um but yeah that's that's it the just those two musical numbers are the highlight of this movie for me also Full recommendation. Also, easy five stars, easy ten stars belongs on the Mount Rushmore of American cinema as far as I am concerned. Uh, Kellen? Hmm. Um, my, my Mercedes Valuable Player, um, uh, I could very easily do Donald Connor or um, anything else that you've already said, but I'll just add something different to be different and say uh, Reed Moreno for being the last surviving cast member. There we go. Swag, uh, swag, swag, With swag. the passing of, who was the, yeah, she, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds. The, yeah. Like, second, to, yeah, 2016. Uh, Reed Moreno, who plays Zelda Zanders, queen of uh, pretty queen. much American musical theater, American musical movies, and the strange Netflix original show, One Day at a Time. Uh, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> that is fucking um, crazy, but yes. No, yes. yeah. 
just to know that she went from that to doing West Side Story, which um, is another of the great American movie musicals, if not extremely problematic in the casting, um, with the exception of Rita Moreno. Um, and uh, I would also shout out the whole number that leads up to Beautiful Girls with the insane um, musical clips and glitter backgrounds. <laughs> And then the beautiful girls number itself, which is like you could do the the college script analysis about the use of color and the use of whatever in it, but it's also just a shiny, pretty musical number that I really enjoy. And do you recommend this movie? One hundred (laughs) percent. Love that. One hundred percent. Love that. Eleven stars. That is the end of the discussion, and I guess the show. I guess this is uh, the part where we say, Kellen, thank you so much for <laughs> enduring the two hours in this house of pain that we call this podcast. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. You get to plug anything that you want to plug now, so plug away, Kellen. Uh, yeah, like Mason said, I, I do a, a podcast on no particular schedule. We tend to release on Tuesdays whenever episodes are ready, but um, we follow no plan. Uh, it's about the Muppets. We watch movies and TV shows and listen to the albums and eventually probably do the books if I ever feel like reading. Um, (laughs) But it's called Old Friends Who've Just Met. Uh, Mason will be on an episode sometime soon where we discuss The Great Muppet Caper. Um, Yeah, and I paint things. I haven't posted in a while, but my arty Instagram is underscore couchmouse. And when I do post stuff, that's where it goes. So, yeah. Hell yes. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. Thanks for coming now I'm going to do plugs. So, ever Nope, Mason, please be quiet. I'm going to do plugs now, so I need you to be quiet. Okay, thanks. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Twitter is at Noah Marger. Instagram is Noah.Marger. Letterboxd is Moa Narger. You can listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, show about people's favorite things. This week, I'm talking to Twitch streamer and my friend. He is very nice. I'm so glad I finally got him on the show. His name is James Trevor. We'll be talking about the bonus features for the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, fuck, that yeah. is not a joke. Hell yeah. We are actually talking about that. It's a really good episode. We recorded it uh, already, and I really like it. That'll be coming out on all podcast platforms. Links to all that shit is in the description as well. YLG, your local government Instagram, YLG.world, your local government comedy on YouTube for sketch comedy that me and Fed do. That's it. Those are all my plugs. Mason, take us home. You can find me and my other podcast, The Barn, a podcast about the shield. You can find me on Letterboxd under my name. You can find me on Instagram at HotDogDebicki or at GoodSkyTonight. Uh, like Kellen said, you can also find me on her podcast. We did record it. We ostensibly about the great Muppet caper, but mostly about Charles Grodin. So be on the lookout for that. And, uh, let me think if there's anything else that I want to plug real quick. Can't think of anything right now. So I will end the show as we always do by saying, of course, black lives matter, black trans lives matter, abolish, defund the police. Uh, fuck the president, fuck Congress, fuck basically anyone in a position of authority. They are all weirdos and gross. Do not trust any of them. Uh, but do trust your friends, do trust your neighbors. Uh, tell somebody like that you love them, or tell a stranger you love them. Maybe that they're just doing something you appreciate them. Tell them that. Other than that, check in on your friends, check in on your loved ones, and we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.
Chris Colfer.